he worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? You're listening to episode 117 of the Love That Album podcast. So glad that you could join me. Thanks very much. Please spread the word, listen often, and listen lots. I think that means the same thing. What the hell am I talking about? I don't know. Anyway, thanks once again for joining me, as I said. Now, normally I have guest co-presenters. This is one of those rare occasions where I do not, so you'll have to listen to my blatherings by myself once again, my pity on you. But stick it out. Maybe I'll have something to say that's of worthwhile value. Originally, we're going to be covering the album English Settlement by XTC. My guest presenters for that program were not available for October, so henceforth that's been pushed back to November. So I had to find something else to talk about for this month. And my choice was an album that I thought about a long time ago to bring to the show, but for some reason had put aside, hadn't thought about. And now it just seemed like the perfect time because as summer is approaching here in the Southern Hemisphere, then it sort of seemed to make sense to talk about an album by the one beach boy who actually surfed. That's right, Dennis Wilson's album from 1977, Pacific Ocean Blue. So uh, stay around, and we'll be talking about all sorts of things like Charles Manson, sailing ships, drunk diving, dark times, and optimism. All of that to come, plus an actual analysis of the album. You're listening to episode 117 of Love That Album. I'll be back after this break. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music related discussion. Welcome to Blotsploitation, the Ausploitation podcast. I'm November. I'm Daria. And I'm Callum. Uh, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Ausploitation movies are a subgenre of exploitation movies. But you could do it for cheap in Australia because nobody films in Australia. You've been around money too. You're going off your head. Is Bruce Spence in it? Then yes. <laughs> then yes, it <laughs> is an exploitation. Each month we'll look at a film like Razorback, Alvin Purple, The Cars That Ate Paris, Felicity, Mad Dog Mall, Nightmares, Road Games, Stone, Storm, well then, let's not waste any time. It was exploitation at its best, because part of the thing about going to see every exploitation movie that came out is you had to be just completely ripped off. It's about Australian attitudes. Here comes the counterculture. And with plenty of spoilers and strong language. Cop that, you rotten pommy bastard. You can find us on podsploitation.podbean.com and on whichever app brings you your favourite podcasts. 
Babalu, Boomerang, Crocodile, Kookaburra, Wombat, Orangutan, Wee-ho, Way-ho, Taramanga Mine, Quandong, Billabong, Gundabluey Pine, Platypus, Emu, Wallaby, Rue, Ivers, Bulga, the White Cockatoo, Marabara, Cowra, Colamine, Banco, Bogamine, Aramine, Nemesine, Yanka, Hoopla, Hoopla, Ha, 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 Yanka, Welcome back to episode 117 of Love That Album Podcast. As I said before the break, I'm here to discuss Pacific Ocean Blue by the late great Dennis Wilson, originally released in December of 1977. It had a CD release in 1991, but apparently was deleted within a year. The legacy release through Sony came out in 2008 as a double CD. It had Bamboo, the album he was recording in, I think, 1983 as a follow-up to Pacific Ocean Blue, but never got a release, so I think that album is just mainly unfinished tracks, but presents an interesting album unto itself. But today I'll be focusing just on the first album, the finished one, Pacific Ocean Blue. So ultimately, the purpose of this program, as I said, will be to discuss Pacific Ocean Blue in its own right. I'll only be referring to earlier Beach Boys releases in small doses. It's sort of inevitable, but I think that this album can be discussed a lot in its own right. The fact is, however, that Pacific Ocean Blue would never have been recorded if not for Dennis's time as a Beach Boy, regardless of how different the album is to his earlier work as a Beach Boy. Surfing is the only life, the only way for me now. Surf, surf. I got up this morning, turned on my radio I was checking out the surfing scene to see if I would go And when the DJ tells me that the surfing is fine That's when I know my... After I became converted to pop music in 1974 It seemed like the Beach Boys were always on a radio somewhere And appropriately, as it sounds Particularly through AM transistor radios at the beach I have a feeling that my dad was given a bunch of old records that he passed on to me, one of which was a Beach Boys compilation of some sort on a local label. I think it was a TV special. I always enjoyed those songs, but as a kid, years after they'd been a thing, I never went on a deep dive for them the way I did for Beatles albums or Who albums. It was years before I really appreciated the best that they had to offer, and found that they were never as consistently as great as the Beatles from an album's perspective. In the singles department, I don't think that they could have been topped. Everyone talks about pet sounds and smile, but I didn't really rate Friends or Wild Honey, and I didn't even want to start on some of the output of the 80s. I do love the late 60s, early 70s albums like Sunflower and Surf's Up and Holland, and their 1973 live album is probably one of the greatest live albums I've ever heard. Go on, argue with me, I dare you. The one biography that I've read of the Beach Boys was a book called Heroes and Villains, written by a guy called Stephen Gaines. 
My main problem with the book was that the music was almost a side issue. It was mainly about the overbearing cruelty of Murray Wilson, the mind fuck of Dr. Eugene Landy on Brian Wilson, and the self-absorption of Mike Love. While it's true that a biography is supposed to be detailing events in a person's life, in a musician's life in this case, I sort of felt that Stephen Gaines was really not that interested in what made Brian's songwriting so important in the first place. And really, if you're going to be reading a music biography and not concentrate at all on the music, then really what's the point? Why is this man a figure of interest and why was this band a figure of interest in the first place? I mean, we're talking about a group that went from surf music origins with really, really strong and very distinctive harmonies to Baroque pop. And for me, that book never really sort of conveyed how the drama in Brian's life sort of influenced his actual musical stylings, just more about the actual drama itself. In my opinion, there needed to be a musical analysis that showed, in spite of all the hardship, great art was created. The beatings dealt by Murray, the manipulation by Dr. Landy are all public record. The lying in bed, the drugs, the falling out of public favour, they were considered poison by the early 70s. Dennis's association with Charles Manson, all of this could have put lesser mortals out of the game creatively. Instead, the Beach Boys came up with two artistic triumphs, Kokomo and the thing from Problem Child. <laughs> Following the nervous breakdown that Brian had post-Smile, his involvement was more sporadic, obviously, so it fell to Carl and Dennis to drive the band along, as well as contributions from Bruce Johnston. And if they weren't exactly replicating Brian's adventurousness, they were coming up with some great tunes, but after making the albums sound like there were multiple songwriters, each trying to do their best Brian Wilson. I can imagine that Dennis was the beach boy that people expected the least from as a songwriter, but since the brothers were supporters of each other, Brian actually had taken the opportunity to show Dennis some piano technique over the years. Now, neither were great pianists, but they knew enough how to be songwriters. Some of what Dennis came up with sounds to me like homage to his brother, songs like Be With Me from 2020 or Forever from Sunflower. I asked the sky just what we But he was also doing something that sounded more contemporary for the day, like Slip On Through, which is a bit funk-edged, or Got To Know The Woman from Sunflower. I just met a woman on my way home, she just my mind. My heart was a pumping, I mean all the way home. Got to know the even cuddle up from Carl and the Passions. From the late 60s through to the early 70s, the band had become something less than popular and were even figures of scorn. I remember doing an interview a couple of years ago with Darian Sahanaja, who many years later became Brian's musical director, and he told me that in 1974, while he was walking home from school with a copy of a Beach Boys compilation album, he actually got beaten up by other kids from the school because he was a fan of the Beach Boys. That's how bad it had gotten. So in the early 70s, the band recruited a couple of members of South African band The Flames 
Blondie Chaplin on guitar and Ricky Fatar on drums. They certainly brought a really good solid groove to their sound. And if you go back and listen to those albums, Holland and Carl and the Passions, as well as the live album that they're a part of, you really hear what I think was quite an exciting band. Very, very different from the Beach Boys that we grew up to know and love of the early to mid 60s but still something that showed that they should have been a really strong force in 70s music. So let's cut to 1977, and Pacific Ocean Blue is the one album that Dennis released in his lifetime, although he started recording Bamboo, the album I mentioned earlier, a few years later, but drugs and alcoholism and the selling off of Brother Records Studios that the Beach Boys owned put a stop to that. A good song can be made great with the right arrangement, and the songs on this album work so well because of the arrangements that are afforded them and the darkness inherent in the sound on the first half of the album. While it's true that many a Beach Boys song had an inherent sadness or wistfulness about them, I don't think that anything had ever sounded quite this dark and foreboding. Dennis's voice often sounds rather rough on this album and that's not in the Tom Waits sort of way, but it certainly is a long way from the sweet sounds that we expected of someone who was a key part of the harmonies of the Beach Boys. I've heard both sides of the argument that have said that his voice was that way due to the drugs and alcohol that he'd been taking up until that point, but there's also the opinion that that's just a crock of shit. Either way, the weariness and vulnerability that is inherent in his voice on this album works so well on this material that a perfect voice would have made just sound not quite like bland AOR, but there's a sincerity to his voice that helps with this material. Despite the album's darkness in places, I don't think it's a million miles from what the Beach Boys could have recorded if there hadn't been so much internal friction. The songs are Dennis's collaborations, some with producer Greg Jacobson, uh, a couple with his then wife and muse and source of misery at times, Karen Lamb, and one with Carl and surprise, surprise, even one with Mike Love. The songs are often autobiographical. Some are lyrically no great shakes and others are absorbing. I think that the important thing is the arrangements of the music and Dennis's voice, which elevates absolutely everything. One thing's for certain, he adored and respected Brian and learned a hell of a lot about song construction and melody as well as piano from him. A perfect example is the opening cut on the album, River Song. The song is listed as a Dennis Carl co-write, but in scope and ambition, it has Brian all over it. The 
song is not a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus structure. It's not even a verse, verse, verse structure. Like the river in the title, it's a song that flows from one segment to the next, but it's not a song made up of several different segments, like, say, Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles. Each section is still built around the same key and the same chords, which is why they link so well, but they are distinct sections, something that I think Dennis and Carl learned from Brian from something like Good Vibrations. Section 1 has this beautiful upper piano arpeggiated pattern played by Dennis and sung by a gospel choir. The familiar is the fact that this album starts with harmonies, but it's not the style of harmony that you normally associate with a Beach Boys album. The piano even sounds like it musically represents the flow of a river while Dennis sings about his love of the river a long way from the city life and the beaches associated with Hawthorne, California, where the Beach Boys grew up. Section 2 follows the same two chords but distinguishes itself from the first section by the piano being anchored more in the lower range, giving it a slightly menacing feel. And this city boy sings how life in LA is choking him. The drama kicks into a slow drumming groove played by the amazing Ricky Fatar, and that's not exactly funk, but it's really, really locked in. Section three to me really ratchets up the drama. It has the choir singing with the passion of a full-on church session with counter melody lines being sung. Rolling, rolling, rolling on river and gotta get away. And one of the singers in this choir sounds to me so much like Mary Clayton who brought in the drama on the Rolling Stones song, Gimme Shelter. band sounds absolutely ferocious at this point and it's drama more worthy of a song about the ocean and an ocean-based storm than a river. Section 4 leads into the closing coda. The drama is pulled back with a choir being more reserved as Dennis laments what Los Angeles has become to him before the band kicks in again on the fade out and they lyrically and musically resolve that there's no time for being wistful about what the city was. They resolve, you've got to get away, you've got to do it. Lyrically, at least on paper, this is nothing that would make Smiles lyricist Van Dyke Parks lose any sleep, but... A song should never be confused with poetry, and in context of the music and the emotion that it conveys, the lyrics through Dennis's voice and the choir's voices works really, really well. Knowing what we know about who Dennis was, you believe what he's singing here. He might never have actually left the city, but the water was certainly where he felt at home. The thing about this album is where it turns up in Dennis's life. However, even if you'd never read a biography and didn't know anything about his wild man days and his backstory with Charles Manson, read that up if you haven't done so, uh, his tough times with his father, his drugs and drink problems or his marriage issues, you listen to this voice on the record and you just know he's experienced life in a tough way. He rarely sounds like he's in a good place, even on the more hopeful songs. 
His voice sounds wary and troubled and desperate, even when he's trying to sound tough. I also put a lot down to the production style of Greg Jacobson on this album. It's not a clean sounding record, apart from possibly the River Song. I don't have the technical vocabulary, but if the recording itself could have been personified and had one too many drinks at an LA bar, then that's how it sounds to me. It does have some of the flat sounding elements of many 70s recordings, but there's still something more there. There's a melancholy on many of these songs that, combined with this production, gives off the mood of a man not in a great place, far and away from the sound one expects from the debut album of a Beach Boy. Even a song like What's Wrong, the second cut on the album, has this feeling to me of Dennis sounding like he's on the out. On the surface, it has that strutting, cock-of-the-walk sense about it, which you get on something like Got to Know the Woman on Sunflower by the Beach Boys, but the title of the song already alludes to me that this is not the cheerful song the music alone gives the impression of. It's a cliched lyric to be sure with words like, your words drip with honey while you spend my money, but it was very possibly pointing to the problems that he had with the woman he married twice, Karen Lamb. There's something spooky in Dennis's double-tracked voice that gives off a desperate feel. So many singers have gone out of their way to make their voices sound studio perfect. Dennis doesn't do that here. There's production on it, but it's not electronically enhanced to give you the illusion that you're hearing some voice-perfect Beach Boy. Hi, my name is Dennis Wilson. I make rock and roll records. Uh, I've had a career of 15 years making records, hit records with the Beach Boys. During that 15 years, I have uh, had some very exciting moments. There are some moments on Pacific Ocean Blue that I'll describe as Jekyll and Hyde transformations. The songs start out as one thing musically, then end up mood-wise completely differently. So the two songs I'm thinking of in particular are in the middle of the album. The first one is Thoughts of You. The sunshine blinded me this morning like the sunshine love comes and goes again I love you I love you it starts out with a really gorgeous simple piano line and a fragile-sounding Dennis singing about his love for someone. Melodically, it could be from any piano-based singer-songwriter of the era. The second verse is still predominantly Dennis playing the piano, singing in a very forlorn fashion. Uh, There's a string section that plays tremolo behind it. It sort of gives off an eerie vibe to me, and you'd have heard it in a ton of horror film scores to indicate foreboding, this style of string section that I'm talking about. Then the music turns really dark. We go from the major key to a minor key. There's a new delay or reverb on Dennis's voice that sounds like Regan right out of The Exorcist as he sings, all things that live one day must die. 
And then we end with a final verse that seems to indicate he's recalling someone who's died. The melancholy has passed and there's just this wistful feeling. Jekyll to Hyde, back to Jekyll. Part songwriting, part production and part Dennis's voice. I really, really love what they've done with this song. I mean, I love everything about this album, but on this song, it could have been in anyone else's hands, just bland AOR. But there's something about Dennis's voice and the production and the arrangements of the song that sort of put it way beyond that. And he's come up with a song for the ages and really an album for the ages. There's scary moments like what I just described there. And there's also a scary moment in the next song that I want to talk about called Time. I mentioned before that the middle of the album had two Jekyll and Hyde-like songs in Thoughts of You and Time, but I want to take that back about Time. I don't actually think that it's musically a Jekyll and Hyde scenario, even though it's a song of contrasts. It's more of a song that starts out being sung by someone sounding unhinged or on the verge of losing his grip. The irony to me is that it's credited as a Wilson Karen Lamb co-write. Truth be known, we won't really know how much of the song was inspired by her or written by her and how much was actually really written by Dennis, but I find it interesting that in a song like this that she would actually be credited as being part of the songwriting team or that she would even think to be part of a song like this. Uh, Dennis is at the piano singing how he loves his lady, but he also sings that he likes to mess around. He's known a lot of women, but they don't fill his heart. Not exactly the fodder of a sincere love song. The piano is played with emphasis on the minor key signature and the lower octaves of the piano, which sound like a man on the verge of his tether to me. Along with Dennis's voice sounding like he's had a few drinks and he's depressed, I get a mental image of him standing outside his locked screen door, you know, begging for some level of forgiveness and begging to be admitted into the house. The music sounds really ominous and dark at this point and not at all romantic like the protagonist in the song wants it to come across. It starts out as a slow piano ballad, but unlike the song You and I, possibly the one piano ballad that sounds like he's in a good place, it's ambulance-sounding piano chords go from melancholy to warning the listener that things will not end well. As I said before, the piano has this two-chord up-and-down ambulance style of effect, sort of like I'm the Walrus by the Beatles. And that and the trumpet solo that come just before things go crazy really, really makes the song sound very foreboding. The coda of the song is where... I first thought about this as a Jekyll and Hyde change, but it's really just where the song has to naturally conclude. I think if it had been recorded today, it would have been recorded louder and more violent and more brutal, but the song moves musically into a repeated funk motif. The piano is still doing that broken chord ambulance thing, but the drums 
bass and guitar also come in along with the funk trumpet type of motif that also plays along with them. In any conventional sort of song, this really would not have sounded like it belonged with what's gone on in the first part of the song. But the song is definitely telling you a story. The lyrics don't appear to on the surface, but the combination of the lyrics with the music really do develop into something that reads like a film, reads like something nasty is going on, reads like there's something violent in the music as a follow-on from the lyrics. I really don't think I'm reading too much into this, but if I am, well, it's my program. I can do that. Notwithstanding the song Time, which opens up the second side of the album, the rest of the record actually steers away from the darkness of the first half. It doesn't actually turn into a sweetness and light fest, but it's more about embracing life and love after the darkness. It's great that the album was arranged in this particular order, even if my perception about the record is not what Dennis's original intentions were. There's still a, definitely a sense of what I see as fragility on the second side of the album. That's not the swaggering Dennis of the earlier Beach Boys songs, but aside from time, at the start of this side, it's reflective and positive. The biggest surprise to me is that he co-wrote the title song of the album with Mike Love, who, according to the Stephen Gaines book, Dennis lived to make his life a misery. So either that was overstated, or at the very least, they did have their workable moments. It's the final trilogy of songs on the album that really showed the hopeful slash positive side of Dennis. The first of those three songs is Farewell My Friend. Farewell my friend Friend was supposedly written by Dennis for the funeral of Carl Wilson's father-in-law, who Dennis himself was close to. It's not at all maudlin or dark like the first half of the album. It just has that gentle, sort of rolling on the ocean type flavour to it. There's a simple sentiment, but completely sincere, even though it does seem a little bit cliched, but you really believe Dennis when he sings, you take the high road, I'll take the low road, and we'll meet again. It has that vaguely subdued Beach Boys style background harmony on it. Not quite melancholy, but more wistful in tone. The low octave piano on the left hand has, to me, a slight sense of darkness about it, but this song is really a celebration of friendship, not a mourning for its end in this life. There's some slack key guitar, a little bit of vibraphone. You really need the headphones to pick it up, but it's all beautifully and subtly arranged. And for a funeral song, it's not at all over the top as it could have been. It's tasteful and simple and quite obviously sincere. I believe that this was also played at Dennis's own funeral. Rainbow, 
penultimate song on the album, Rainbows, it's the one song that sounds to me like it could have been written by Brian. I've no idea if this was Dennis's intention, but given his love for his brother, it would be no surprise to me. The song was actually a collaboration with his brother Carl and with their friend and poet Stephen Kalinich. It sounds like a 70s Beach Boys song that could have slotted in well on their early albums Sunflower or Surf's Up or even Carl and the Passions. And it's completely different to anything else on this record. Side 1 is all the darker material, as we've spoken about. And even Side 2, though more optimistic, is generally more reflective. This is the one song to me that is musically and lyrically embraces life. It's got an understated but lovely use of the banjo in the verses. Yes, folks, that is a good thing. And the beautiful sound of a bazooki in the bridge. To me, these are not just used enough in rock and roll, and in a proper arrangement can really add colour to the sound of a song. The sad thing in a way about this song is that we know that Dennis would continue to have troubles in his life. Marriage, beach boys, losing his boat for not keeping up the payments, losing brother records, yet this song is a love letter to life and the possibilities it holds. Rainbows shining on my shoulder, sunshine warming up my day. In many other singers' hands, these lyrics could have come out as trite and twee, but from Dennis Wilson, it sounds like he really believes it, like just about everything else on this album. For a time, life was good again. I think it would take a hard heart to be dismissive of this song. Appropriately named End of the Show is the final song on the album. In a way, I think I would have preferred to see Rainbows as the final song, as there's no doubting its positive affirmation that Dennis had for life, whereas the tone of End of the Show sounds like he needs confirmation that he has some level of self-worth. Still, it's a beautiful song. He sings, We all have our dreams. It's wonderful to know we're alive. But the subdued tone of his voice plus the sad nature of the piano melody and arrangement betray to me his fear of what his future would hold and maybe a fear of his own weakness. I suggest that with hindsight being the oracle of all wisdom, but it's still highly possible. Yet I still put this beautiful song in as part of this final trilogy of hope in contrast to the darkness the false machismo, I think, of some of the songs on the first half of the album. And when it comes down to it, that's what this whole album represents to me, two sides of its creator. Dennis was known for being generous of spirit, yet he could be his own worst enemy in terms of the reports of self-destructive behavior. Wittingly or not, I think he laid out the songs on this album to reflect those two sides of his nature. That's my interpretation. I'm sticking to it. In any regard, it's a quality album, 12 fantastic songs. As I said at the start of the show, this is not an album that anyone would have expected of Dennis Wilson, the drummer of the Beach Boys. Lord knows we wouldn't have expected an album of this much diversity from Ringo and certainly not from Keith Moon. In any event, this is a beautiful album. Even if you're not necessarily a die-hard Beach Boys fan and 
why wouldn't you be of at least some of their albums? This is still something that you should search out. There's great emotion going on here. There's darkness. There's relief. There's love. There's honesty. There's tension. And bottom line, there's 12 great songs. So search this out if you haven't already done so. If you can still get a hold of the Legacy CD pack, then you'll also get the songs that would have appeared on the Bamboo album had he released them back in the day. Some great songs there as well, but for my money, it's Pacific Ocean Blue is the real important album that you need to own. All right, we're going to have another quick break, and then I'll come back and talk to you about what will be on episode 118 of Love That Album Podcast. We'll be back in a moment. Tim and Bernie every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com The See Here Podcast. It's a blast. Far out. And so after an episode that was considerably shorter than I thought it might be, but that's what happens when you don't have a guest to put in their two cents worth about an album. Ah, big sigh. Anyway, uh, next month, which will be November of 2018, we'll be uh, inviting a couple of guests on the program. So maybe it'll be three times as long as this show was. I don't know. Anyway, uh, next month will be the episode that was supposed to be this month. That is a discussion of the XTC album from 1982, English Settlement. And I'll be joined by two guests, as I said. The first one is a fellow called Jeff Perlman, who was recently a guest on the all-time Top 10 podcast hosted by Ben Eisen, and they did their Top 10 songs about animals, if I recall correctly. And the second guest will be a return visit from last month's special co-host, guitarist from Sydney from the band The Bondi Cigars, Mr. Shane Pacey. Uh, At the end of that episode, I found out that he also had a love of XTC, so uh, I've invited him back to uh, shoot the shit with Jeff and myself about XTC's album English Settlement so that will hopefully be a lot of fun hopefully you'll tune in if uh, you wish to download the show and well obviously you already have because you're listening to this but if you want to know a bunch of ways to download the show you can download us from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com you can search for the show on iTunes Love That Album or you can just type in Love That Album into your favourite podcast catcher of choice and as of 
very recently. Both love that album and See Here, the other podcast I do with my good friends Tim and Bernie. Uh, the shows are now on Spotify. So if Spotify is a way that you like to listen to music, you can now listen to podcasts there as well. So you can catch both Love That Album and See Here via Spotify. That's See Here, S-W-E-H-E-A-R. Uh, what else can I tell you? You can join the Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album or you can send me an email at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. It would be very nice if you would. Love to hear from you. Maybe you want to suggest an album that we should cover on the show next year. Maybe you want to tell me, you know what? I don't think you know what the hell you're talking about. If you let me on the show, I'm going to point you out exactly where you're wrong with your album dissection. Welcome on the show. Nothing wrong with an occasional contentious discussion. We've had a few of those. Maybe it's about time we had a few more. What do you think? Let me know. Kitchen at yahoo.com.au or write something in the Facebook group. Say, we need a contentious discussion. Enough of this agreement nonsense. Anything you want. Anyway, I think it's about time that I ended the program and uh, I'm not even sure that we've hit 50 minutes on this program. Good Lord. Hmm. I don't know that I like being concise. Until next time... Please be nice to each other. Look after each other. Go see some gigs. Listen to some music. Give a listener something that you may not have listened to in a long time. Maybe listen to something that you don't think you normally would listen to. Join a group where people make suggestions and find something new. All the best. Until next month, all the best. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.